Our key verse this morning is Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, and it is this. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. This morning, I believe God wants us to understand that it is not his desire for his children, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it is not his desire for them to live in fear of anything, cows, pigs, or even politicians. He wants us to live in freedom. Now, why does God not want us to live in fear? Why does he tell us not to fear? Because fear paralyzes while faith propels us toward the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. You see, God wants us to be people of faith. God's plan for you is not to be a victim, but a victor. Not a wall flower, but a wall builder. God's plan is not for you to hunker down in fear, but rather to stand up in faith. Our message this morning is entitled, No Fear of Man, Only a Reverence for God. Let me tell you a story of a, a young lady in Texas, Angela Hildebrand. I actually wrote about her in my book, No Fear. As the valedictorian at Medina, Medina High, Valley High School, in Texas, she was chosen to make the valedictorian speech, but a federal judge, Fred Judge Fred Berry, threatened Angela with jail if she even mentioned the name of God in her valedictorian speech. In his official order, Judge Berry wrote this, and I quote, These students and all other persons scheduled to speak during the graduation ceremony shall be instructed not to present a prayer. To wit, they shall be instructed that they may not ask audience members to stand, to join in prayer, or bow their heads. They may not end their remarks with amen or in a deity's name we pray, and they shall not otherwise deliver a message that would commonly be understood to be a prayer, nor use the word prayer, end quote. This was by a federal judge in the United States of America, not China. When I was interviewing Angela for the book about this encounter with the federal judge and the, the very real threat of going to jail in San Antonio if she mentioned the name of Jesus in her speech, I asked her, Angela, at what point did you decide that you were going to reverence God and not fear man? She said, I prayed. And when I prayed, I spoke to my dad. And it was at that moment that I knew that I had to pray and give glory to Jesus Christ, even though jail potentially awaited me. I'm not going to give you the rest of her story. You'll have to buy the book to get the story. Our text this morning, Matthew chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Matthew chapter 10. As you're turning there, I want to give you the context. It's very important to understand the context of Scripture. In this context, Jesus had called his disciples sometime before to follow him, and he began a process of discipling them, much like what's happening here at Times Square Church. Now, in this chapter, which is divided into three parts, he gives them power and authority to do the work of the kingdom. Verses 5 through 15 deals with the instructions for their temporary training mission that he's sending them out on. 
verses 16 to 23 gives direction for the permanent exercise of the gospel ministry. And the third part, verses 24 through 42, is a wider application still, reaching not only to the ministry of the gospel in every age, but to the service of Christ in the widest sense. Meaning, this passage is both an instruction and encouragement to every true believer of Jesus Christ in every age. In a tweet, it would be like this. Those who follow Jesus will reject, will face rejection, ridicule, and even resistance. But they are to have no fear of man, rather an abiding reverence for God. Let's begin verse 16 of Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. For they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now. Brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the son of man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is your word that you have promised will not return unto you void. And so this morning we stand upon your word, not the wisdom of men, 
but rather the wisdom of the ages. We stand upon your word and I pray, Father God, the Holy Spirit that is in this place, I pray now for an anointing to come that would lift the blindness from our eyes. That would unstop the ears that we might hear the truth of God's word. And I pray this morning that nothing I say as your messenger would hinder what you desire to do in this place this morning. Lord, it is not my words. Rather, it is your word, Lord, that is to be exalted here this morning. And I pray that through your word, that hearts would be touched and lives would be transformed by the truth of the everlasting word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Three things I want us to see very quickly this morning is that there are challenges in our lives that create fear. Then I want us to look at the consequences of that fear. And then finally, we will look at the cure for fear. The consequences of fear, we see it very clearly in this passage of scripture, verse 14. And whoever will not receive and whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. We understand Jesus is telling there will be rejection and resentment. That's part of the challenges that we face as believers that create fear. Now notice when he says this, it's assumed that not everyone is going to like what we have to say. In fact, you go on to verse 22 and it says, and you will be hated by all for my namesake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. You think about this. Jesus is calling together his disciples that he's pouring his life into. These are the, the 12, ultimately the 11, that will be responsible for carrying on the message of the gospel. Think about that. He's calling them all together. What a pep talk. Look, you're going to go out there. You're going to be hated. You're going to be rejected. They're going to try to kill you. I'm sure some of them were thinking, looking around, is this guy right? But Jesus was warning, this is the cost of following Jesus. Expect to be challenged by hatred from the world. Look what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, and in the Greek, that's meseo, which is to detest or persecute. Same word used in Matthew. He says, you know that if it has hated me before you, it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, the, the truth of the matter is, folks, and we need to understand this. This is not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus and the truth of the gospel. He says, you'll face ridicule and They'll even try to ruin your reputation. Verse 25, is it enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master? If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or the Lord of the flies, a reference to Satan, how much more will they call those of his household? Notice what they call Jesus, the very opposite of who he is. The church that I remind you is on the front lines of every disaster that hits, that is reaching out their arms in love to minister to both the physical, temporal, but yet the spiritual and eternal needs. Showing the love of Christ is often called hateful because they proclaim the truth of God. It is the opposite of what the church is. Jesus said, don't be surprised when that happens. If they call me the Lord of the flies, Beelzebub, do you think you're going to escape that? In fact, it should be even greater upon you if you are walking in my footsteps. Now, I remind you of the 
the ridicule that Pastor Wilkerson faced. I remember as a, a young teenager reading the story of gang leader Nicky Cruz. Pastor David led to Jesus, but only after he was repeatedly beaten, ridiculed, and threatened. How many would have given up before the vision was established and the message of the gospel transforming the lives of so many in this city and literally around the world? You see, the ridicule, though, is not just on the streets. I'm sure you saw a couple of months ago when a prominent TV personality mocked the prayer life of the vice president who I've known for 20 years. It's one thing to talk about Jesus. It's another thing when Jesus talks to you, they said. That's called mental illness. Now, if I'm not correct, hearing voices. Now, she has apologized after an outcry from the public, but that is what Jesus told us would happen if we truly live out our faith in him. We should expect, he says, resistance and even ruin. Verses 17 But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, folks, this might not be real in New York City today, but it is real around the world. Open Doors USA, led by my good friend, Dr. David Curry, says 255 Christians are killed every month. 104 Christians are abducted, 180 women and girls are raped, sexually assaulted, or forced into marriages. 66 churches are attacked every month, and 160 Christians are detained or imprisoned without trial simply because they are Christian. Now notice the analogy he says where he's sending us out. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He is not sending us out as skunks or even armadillos. But some of you that aren't from the South, that'll, it'll take you a while to figure that one out. <laughs> he, he's, he's sending us out as sheep among wolves. How much more vulnerable can we be, which means we must be reliant upon him. A number of years ago when I was in Louisiana in office, I authored the nation's first covenant marriage law, and it caught the attention of individuals, policymakers around the the country, and I received an invitation for Dr. James Dobson to focus on the family, to come and be on his radio program and and talk about uh, that that law, and and, uh, so I went out there with a law professor that helped me write it, and we, uh, we did the radio program, and, and in uh, Colorado Springs, there's a large Hispanic population, and I like, I, I like Mexican food, uh, the real stuff, not the Taco Bell stuff, but the real, real thing. <laughs> and so I asked him, I said, you know, is there, is there a restaurant around here where we can go and get some authentic Mexican food? He goes, yeah, there is one. They told me downtown, so that evening, it was in the wintertime, a little cold. In the evening, we went down, had a great dinner, and uh, we're coming out of the restaurant, me and the law professor, and uh, walking back to the rental car. And I noticed as I was walking toward the rental car, there was a man uh, coming at me in a trench coat uh, with a knife. Now, I was just a street cop. I was not a detective, but even I could detect I had a problem at that point, Pastor Carter. <laughs> and so I stopped and I, and I looked at him and, and all of a sudden he dropped the knife and he began to back up and he said, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean anything about it. I, I'm hungry, uh, I'm homeless and I just wanted something to eat. 
So I would routinely carry with me McDonald's gift certificates. So I told him to go get a happy meal. And, <laughs> and, and I went back to the hotel that night. And I was getting ready for bed. And I was brushing my teeth. I was looking in the mirror. And I was thinking, yeah, I am pretty intimidating looking. <laughs> what are you laughing about? <laughs> I mean, I was a Marine. I, you know, I was looking. Actually, I did the same thing. I said, no. Do you think maybe it wasn't me that he saw? You see, I believe when you and I are walking in obedience to God, no one confessed sin in our lives, and that we're in the center of his will, that we have to have no fear. That God will place his angels around us to protect us, to accomplish his purposes in us and through us. God's plan is not for you to live in fear. The reason that there's fear in so many of us is because we're outside of God's plan for our lives. Or we haven't come to that point of receiving the forgiveness of our sins and coming into a relationship with God, knowing that he loves us. So many live in fear of dying because they're afraid of what's to come because they, they know that God is angry. God actually loves you in a profound way. So much so that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours so that we could be free of that eternal fear of separation from God. And until we settle that fear, the other fears will never go away. There are consequences to fear. Those are the challenges that can create them. But I, I want you to see very quickly, you'd say, well, well so what? So I can deal with my fear. I, I want you to understand the consequences of God's children living in fear. First, the first consequence is deliverance and freedom is thwarted. For the lost, when we shrink back from living and proclaiming the truth. You see, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples. And when you and I are afraid to live out our faith in the year 2018 because someone might post something on Facebook about us or someone might say something in the cubicle next to us, guess what happens? There are those who are bound up in the fear of Knowing that they are separated from God, who will never come to know the truth. You say, how can that be? Well, John chapter 8 verse 32 says, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But it is the, it is the truth of the gospel that sets people free from fear. But if you and I are afraid to speak the truth, how will they hear? Romans ten fourteen says this. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? You see, when you and I, it's not just about us. When you and I are afraid to publicly identify with Jesus Christ and proclaim that there is truth in the era of relativism, there are those looking for the answers to life that will never find them because we're cowering in a corner, afraid. No fear of man, only a reverence for God. 
There's also the divine denial. If, if the, the fact that the truth does not go out and, and the lost is not, not coming to know Christ does not wake you up, this should. There's a divine denial. Matthew 10.33, but whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus is not recruiting secret service Christians. He is recruiting those who will boldly proclaim Jesus Christ before men. And he, the word says he is sitting at the right hand of the father. And he says, if you proclaim me before men, I will proclaim you before the father who is in heaven. Now, that, that, this is not related to whether or not we lose our salvation. I'm not going to get into that theological discussion. This is, I'm going to very, be very practical. He says he is our intercessor interceding with us with the Father. And so if you and I are living in such a way that we're denying our relationship with him, and then we're in our prayer calls and praying, Jesus, help me, help me, God, in Jesus' name, help me. But we're living as if we're denying him. Jesus says, I don't know you. I'm not going to go to the Father on your behalf. If you deny me, I'll deny you. But if you and I live openly, boldly proclaiming the hope and the help that is found in Jesus Christ, he says, I'm going to be right there interceding on your behalf with the Father. Very quickly, the cure for fear. How many of you this morning would like to know what is the cure to fear? How can I go through this life and boldly live my faith? How, how can I live unafraid of the circumstances surrounding me? Well, it begins with a reverence for God. Verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, one of the things I believe is missing in the church today is a holy fear of God and a reverence for his word. And maybe, maybe that is why we are facing opposition. It's designed to drive us back to God out of desperation because we have tried to do it on our own. And a message some of you should be familiar with, entitled Eating the Bread of Opposition. A few years ago, Pastor Carter said, opposition causes us to turn to God. Without opposition, the church gets lazy, turns inward, and seeks power without purpose, which is a formula for spiritual delusion, end quote. See, we can respond to the opposition by either turning to God in reverence or running from opposition in fear. At the height of the Cold War in the 1950s, when school children were taught the old drill, duck and cover. How many remember that? Anybody in here? Well, they were, we taught the kids to hide under their desk in the event of a Russian nuclear attack. Now, I've always wondered, how would that work? Well, in the midst of that, the Reverend George Dougherty, a pastor of New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington, D.C., delivered a sermon in February of 1954 on the subject of the Pledge of Allegiance. Sitting there on the front pew was President Eisenhower. 
The sermon was about the absence of the words under God in our pledge. The Reverend Doherty contended that the cure to America's fear of Russia was a reverence for God. A bold declaration that would show that there was a difference between America and the atheistic communist. Three days later, after that sermon was preached, a bill was introduced into Congress to add the words under God to the Pledge of Allegiance. Why? Because a pastor was willing to proclaim the truth of God. And on Flag Day, June 14, 1954, President Eisenhower signed the bill into law saying this, quote, from this day forward, millions of school children will daily proclaim the dedication of our nation and our people to the Almighty. So to overcome fear, we must have a reverence for God. But we must also resolve to die to ourselves. Verse 38, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. In in a similar way, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to all those around him, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, will save it. You see, you and I are called to take up our cross, which was an instrument of death, of self-denial, denying what we want, what we want out of life and what we think life should be. He says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You see, when you and I lay everything at the feet of Jesus, That's when we make him Lord. He cannot be Lord of our lives if we're holding back a little bit. Well, Lord, but but, but I've got this job or I've got this career. I've got this future or I've got this relationship or I've got this or I've got that. We must take up our cross, deny ourselves and follow him. A few years ago, the Family Research Council Ended up working very closely with a handful of our friends in Congress on the case of a Sudanese Christian woman named Miriam Ibrahim. Somehow I found out about this and word got to us that she was convicted for blasphemy in Sudan and was sentenced to die and she was thrown into prison with her toddler son Martin. She was in one of Khartoum's notorious prisons where on average one child dies each day in the summer months. Her crime being a follower of Jesus Christ. But when she was thrown in prison, she was also six months pregnant. And she eventually gave birth to a little baby girl named Maya while she was chained to the floor of this prison in Khartoum. Now we were working on this for for months and we were getting reports from the attorneys. And, you know, I know a little bit about a mother and her children. I've got five children and I know... You don't want to get between a mama and her babies. And they came to this, and, and the situation was her husband was a, an American citizen, although our government was doing very little to help at the time. Her husband was a Christian, and so if she were to be executed, and the, the sentence was 100 lashes and then hanging until death. 
But they were being generous to her. They were going to let her give birth before they killed her. And I can just imagine what was going through Miriam's mind as she was in that prison thinking, you know, I've got an 18-year-old son and, and I've got this baby girl that was just born. And they came to her and they said, Miriam, if you will deny Christ, if you will simply say, I am not a believer in Jesus, I follow the prophet, then we will let you free and there's the door. I think about that for a moment. How many of you in this room would be critical of her if she simply said, well, I, I don't really mean it, but I'm just going to say it because I know Martin, I want to teach him and, and train him, and he's going to grow up to be a great evangelist to reach the people of this region of the world for Jesus. Because if, I, if I'm executed, they're going to give him to a Muslim to raise, and he'll never come to know the truth. I mean, I, I, it was so easy. It would be so easy to rationalize that. But not once, not twice, but three times, Miriam refused to renounce her faith in Jesus Christ. And today, Miriam and her husband and her two children are living in the United States of America free. No fear of man, only a reverence for God. Today in America, you and I are not facing the threat of death for our faith in Jesus, for following him openly. Maybe a, a, a post on Facebook that ridicules our beliefs and our views. Maybe a snide comment, a little mockery here and there. Nothing like Miriam and other believers are facing around the world. But so many Americans, so many Christians in America are paralyzed by fear. My friends, it's time that you and I live free of fear. That we live propelled forward by faith, taking the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a generation that is hurting and hopeless and in need of the truth. This morning, I want to ask you, are there fears in your life? Are there fears that are holding you back from allowing God to do everything in you and through you? If so, I want to pray for you. I want you to be, God wants you to be free. I want to agree with you if you want to be free from that fear this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, Lord, you didn't call your disciples into a ministry and then just you know, blindly say, oh, I forgot to tell you guys, you're going to run into opposition. And you've warned us so that we know that this is a part of being faithful to you. But when this comes, we are to look to you with more reverence and holiness and absolute dependence upon you. So this morning, Holy Spirit, I ask you to come and begin to move in and out of these aisles, begin to meet the deepest needs that are on the hearts of those that are present here this morning. Lord, I pray that even those fears that have been suppressed, Father, right now bring them forward so that we can deal with them. Holy Spirit, you arrest these fears and you dispose of them as they reach out in faith and obedience to you. 
every head bowed, every eye closed this morning, you would say, I I want the power to overcome the fear in my life. And you want to pray this morning to be set free from that fear. I want you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. Just hold it up. Don't be afraid. Father, I thank you for the hands that are across this sanctuary this morning. And Holy Spirit, I ask you now to, as as we stand in agreement together, that you would give them the courage and the boldness to live out their faith. Arrest those fears, whatever they might be, and drive them far, far, far away. Let them live propelled by faith, used by you to take the power, the message of the power of grace. You can put your hands down, continuing in prayer. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. You're here, and maybe you do have fears, but you know if you were to die today that you would forever be in the presence of God. You've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've dealt with that eternal fear, and you know him as your Savior. I just want to, would you just slip up your hand? If that's you this morning, you know him as your Savior. You know where you're going. You've dealt with that issue. You're at peace. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Continuing with your heads bowed, you're here this morning and you couldn't lift your hand. And maybe you were so afraid you couldn't lift your hand earlier. But you know that if you died this moment, you don't know where you would be. You think you'd be in hell because you've never made peace with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you right now, on the, based on the word of God, you will never find peace until you come to peace with God through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, I want you just to, no one looking around, just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Yes, I see the hands in the balcony. Anyone else? Just slip, just slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. just want to pray for you. Anyone else? fetch you this morning. Yes, I see that hand. Yes, I see that hand. Anyone else? We're talking, yes, I see that hand over there. We're dealing with eternity. It's too, it's, it's, it, it's too long not to get right. Anyone else? Right where you are. Yes, I see that hand in the balcony as well. Anyone else? Yes, yes, I see. Yes, I see you. Yes. Anyone else? The end of fear starts with knowing God loves you. And that love was displayed by his son that hung on a cross to pay the penalty for your sins and for mine. And until we come to that point of that realization and and cry out to him asking for forgiveness and making him the Lord of our lives, then we will never deal with the real fear that grips our soul. So if that's you this morning, right where you are, I want you to pray with me. God in heaven, this morning, I realize I am a sinner and I need Jesus. And I ask Jesus to come into my heart and to save me. And today, by an act of my will, I declare Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I will take up my cross 
and I will follow him. Fear, you have no part of me. I am now a child of God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.